You know, recently, uh, my family, we, we were, I think it was a couple Sundays ago, we were kind of sitting around figuring out what we were going to watch on Netflix, and we pulled up one of those Batman movies. And for, I don't know about you, but I've always been a fan of Batman movies. I, I enjoy watching those quite a bit. And one of the reasons why, I think, is that he's, Batman, he's not like the other supermen in the comic strips. He's a, a superhero that has special gifted powers. But he has these resources that he uses to create some pretty cool toys, doesn't he? And he makes it, he, Batman made it his mission in life to use those tools and those resources not to get personal accolades or glory, but to protect the weakest and the most vulnerable people in society. You know, Spider-Man was special because of a spider bite. And Superman was special because he was, well, he was a superhuman. He was from another planet. But Batman... It's a different story. Batman is the story of a normal young boy who had what, was, who, what meant the most to him ripped away from him as he watched his parents murdered before his eyes. And in that moment, no one came to his aid or the aid of his parents in time. The darkness of the world around him could have made him dark, but instead he decided to make it his mission in life to fight for the vulnerable, to defend the defenseless, and to ensure that nothing like that happened to anyone else ever again. Now some of us in life, we are Batman of sorts, I believe. Some of us, we, we may not be putting on a literal bat suit, but we feel it's our vocation in life to protect some of the most vulnerable people in our society. People that I greatly admire. People like police officers and firefighters and paramedics and those who serve in the National Guard. Those who uh, work at rescue shelters and at victim services. But for the rest of us, you know what I'm coming to learn? That in all of our lives, sooner or later, whether we choose that line of work, one of those lines of work or not, we all have Batman moments in our lives. Each one of us. Where we see someone who is being hurt, someone who is being taken advantage of in some way, and seemingly without warning, God, I would say, God puts us in this position where we have a decision to make. We can stand up and we can defend the defenseless. We can give a voice to those who have no voice. Or we can shriek back in fear. I wonder, what do you believe your response should be? In those moments. Think about it. If someone is being hurt or taken advantage of. And you, and you are seeing it yourself. Maybe, maybe it's someone who is young or small or weak. Maybe someone who is needy or elderly or disabled in some way. Maybe someone who is poor or of a different race. For whatever reason they're in a vulnerable position. And you see it. What will you do in that moment? Maybe you've been in that position at some point in your, in your life in the past and you weren't expecting it to happen, you didn't see it coming, but all of a sudden you were there and you were put in this position. Do something, figure it out, take a risk, maybe put your own neck on the line for someone perhaps that you don't even know or just say to yourself, it's really none of my business and just kind of shriek back in fear. Think about this. Each one of us know that there are certain segments of our society, people who are in vulnerable positions on a regular basis, right? Whole groups of people who are being abused or mistreated or taken advantage of. And yeah, we can't protect them all. 
But if there, are there any groups of people like that, any types of situations that just break your heart? You, you see certain injustices, certain things that are happening, and it just, it just angers you. It just sets you off. And there's just something in you, and maybe you would say it's a God thing, where you just say, you know what, I cannot deal with that. And when you see it, you are just driven to do something to stop it. I mean, I hope, have any of you had that experience? Maybe it's, it's to put on your bat suit, so to speak, and to try to do something to help. Maybe it's the plight of foster children or, or refugees or trafficking victims or the homeless or widows or kids who were bullied or victims of elder abuse. Who is it that you feel most deeply burdened for? Who is it that you just feel like God is or may be calling you among all of us, calling you to help? Maybe because of something that's even happened to you or to someone you love at some point in the past. And it just kind of triggered something for you. It was a godly trigger. And you just know, God's put me on earth. one One of the reasons he has put me here is for that. To do something about that. To be God's hands, God's feet, God's voice when I'm called on to do so. You know, currently we're in this series called Crossing the Line, and we're learning how to set healthy boundaries in our relationships. And most of us, we're fortunate enough that we can set our own boundaries with those who cross the line in, in relationships, right? We, we have that ability. But today, I want to take the focus off of ourselves and put them on others, those who are unable to protect themselves. I mean, who protects them? Who should protect them? Now, as you might expect, the Bible has something to say about this. God has something to say about this. God instructed us long ago through a book called Proverbs about who he has called to defend the defenseless. And guess what? It isn't the government. <laughs> and it isn't some elite group of people uh, or segment of society like the rich or the powerful. The job, the calling of all of us who love God is to defend the defenseless, to be a voice for the voiceless, and to do something when we see injustice happening in our world. God doesn't call the government to do it. He calls the body of Christ to do it. And I want to show you a little bit from Scripture about what God has to say about this, starting in Proverbs chapter 31. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 31 with me. It's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs and verses 8 and 9. And if you, have, if you don't have your Bibles with you, but you've got your smartphone in your pocket, that will work as well. Go to gracetucson.org slash Bible, and you can follow along with the online sermon notes there. Now, Proverbs, as you're turning there, Proverbs is a book of nothing but practical God-given wisdom on how we are to live our lives. And right there at the end, at the end of the book, there are two verses there that you just... God couldn't make it more clear about how he views those who are more vulnerable in our society and what our role is. God calls us to be a voice for the voiceless and to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Listen to what God says to you and me this morning. Speak up for those who cannot defend themselves, who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed 
Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. These are powerful words from God. I want to read this to you again. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice yourself for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, God, I pray that any words of my own that aren't of you, that they would just be quickly forgotten. But Lord, I pray that your word, speaking to us from the pages of Proverbs 31 and and so many other places in the Old Testament and New, God, these words would truly speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would stir those things in us that you have planted within us perhaps long ago. Those areas that you're calling us to take a stand and to do something in a culture that says, oh, just kind of let it go, let someone else do it. Lord, would you place a holy burden in our hearts to do something for you, to defend those who cannot defend themselves? Lord, we are listening this morning and we are eager to hear what you would have to say to each one of us who are gathered here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but the message of Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, couldn't be more clear. Could they? This is a theme that we see repeated throughout Scripture, the Old Testament and the New. If you go go back to the book of Exodus, you see that God teaches all of his people this way. Exodus 22, verses 21 to 27 God taught that we're not to mistreat or to oppress others. Any segment of society, whether it be foreigners or refugees or orphans or the widows or poor. The book of Zechariah says the exact same thing. In fact, in the book of Leviticus, God takes it a step further than that. Like the book of Proverbs, as I just read, God says in Leviticus that we are to defend the defenseless and defend the vulnerable, the refugee, the elderly, and the weak. And Micah 6.8 calls us to humbly fight for the justice of others. Jesus taught this as well in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus made it really uncomfortably, uncomfortable, I can't even say that word. You know what I'm saying. Personal. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said for all of us that there's going to come a judgment day when we're going to stand before God. And one of the things that Jesus says that, that will be asked of us is how we took care of Christ on the earth. Those times when he, Jesus had no food to eat, or those times when he had no clothes on his back, or those times when he was in prison, did you, Jesus said, did you come and visit me? And some of you, you know what comes next, right? The, the people, was, people said to Jesus, when did we ever see you homeless? Or when did we ever see you unclothed or in prison? You know what Jesus said in that moment? He said, whatever you failed to do for the least of these, my children, you failed to do for me. James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, it speaks to this as well. I mean, this story is very, very clear through Scripture. God calls His people, His people, to take a stand 
for those who cannot stand for themselves. God even addresses, I love this, God even addresses those of us who might say, and I know I've been guilty of this, but God, I don't know what to do. I mean, how many of us, we have seen an issue that just breaks our hearts and we think, God, this is way bigger than me. I don't know what to do in this situation. Have you ever been there? Well, God speaks to that in the book of Isaiah. You know what it says? God says to us, learn to do good. <laughs> learn to seek justice and help the oppressed. Basically, God's saying, figure it out. The one being abused, the foster child, the elderly, the sick person who can't defend themselves, when you encounter them, God's saying to you and I, you need to figure it out and at least try to do something. You know, Scripture teaches us to be people of compassion, mercy, and justice. And there's a big difference between each of those words. Compassion, mercy, and justice. I think sometimes we get these words mixed up and we think they're all basically the same thing. But they're not. Let me, let me unpack this for you for just a moment. The word compassion, it literally means to suffer with someone. To be moved by the sufferings of another person. To feel what a suffering person is feeling and to walk alongside them, whether it's an adult or a child or an animal. Compassion is a powerful force. It's a stamp of the divine nature placed within us. Now, mercy, mercy is very different. Mercy is something we show when we have some sort of power or influence or control that someone else doesn't have. It isn't so much that we suffer with them as compassion does, but we try to literally take that suffering away. When we forgive someone, we are showing mercy in that moment. When we forgive someone of a debt, a financial debt, we are showing mercy in that moment. When we enter into the mess of someone's situation who can't protect themselves, who can't defend themselves, who can't care for themselves, in that moment when we get in the mess... We are showing mercy. And justice, justice is an even, a step even beyond that. Justice is to help stop, to help prevent suffering from happening in the first place, right? Justice demands that people get what they deserve, whether it is a victim or the one who is responsible for it. Justice means doing whatever it takes to make sure that that thing doesn't happen again. And you know, as, as, as followers of Christ, it's pretty easy to show compassion. It is. I mean, compassion is built into all of us, I believe, by God. It's just there. We have the ability to empathize and to, to hurt when other people hurt. It's a little bit harder, though, to show mercy because it involves us sacrificing something for ourselves. It involves us using our influence, using the control, the, the, the abilities that God's given us to literally put ourselves on the line to be Jesus to someone else in a moment. But you know what I think is hardest of all of these three? It's justice. It's something that I feel like the, the church, the capital C church globally, historically, has not done as well. So often we as Christians, we show compassion. We see someone who is hurting and our heart breaks. And at times, we'll even inconvenience ourselves 
for someone and we'll be merciful to, to pay someone's rent because we find out they're being evicted or to buy a homeless person on the street a meal because we know that they're not going to have anything else to eat that day. I mean, we can, we can stretch ourselves and show mercy. But how often do we put ourselves in a position by standing up and saying that something that is happening that we see is wrong, that it isn't going to happen anymore on our watch? There, if there's anything that God, by God's help, that you or I can do, that we will do it to prevent the suffering and pain of another soul for another day. To be a voice for the voiceless. To take a stand and say, no, this will stop. You know, I think oftentimes in the 21st century, the body of Christ is weak. Maybe it's just a personal conviction. I think a lot of times we are afraid to get in the mess. We are afraid to take a stand. When we have, we have a promise in Scripture that says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We have a promise from God that says, I have you. I have your back. But be my voice in this world. You know, there was a pastor uh, back in the 1800s by the name of J.C. Ryle. And he was born into privilege but as an adult, he decided to walk away from all that. And he decided it was gonna, he was going to make it his quest in life to fight for those who had no voice and to defend them. And this is what he said. This really convicted me. He said, there is a common worldly kind of Christianity in this day, which many have, and they think they have enough of. And then he says, it's a cheap Christianity, which offends nobody, which requires no sacrifice, which costs nothing and is worth nothing. What do you think about that? You know, I think that statement is just as true in our day as it was in his. When it comes to boundaries, Proverbs 31 verses 8 and 9 is one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. It's a passage that says, go beyond setting boundaries for yourself and protecting yourself, which you should do, and enter into the mess and protect those who have no voice. This message, I know, as I'm sharing this with you this morning, it's a challenging one, isn't it? It's one that puts us far out of our comfort zones to not only be aware of the suffering and pain around us, but to do something about it ourselves. And if we don't know how to learn, to, to figure it out. You know, with a, with a message like this, I think it's especially important that we learn from and even celebrate the people in our midst, the people in our community who are figuring this out already, who are, who are discovering that they have been given by God this godly burden, this righteous anger to do something. And even though they don't necessarily know how, they're trying to figure out how to be God's hands and feet and voice in this world. And this morning, I'm tr intentionally truncating my message because I want to give some people in our community the opportunity to speak with you from their hearts about what God is burdening them. There are people in our community who don't necessarily like the limelight or being on stage. In fact, they, they run from it. But I've kind of coerced them to, be, to stand up here and, and be up here on the stage with me this morning. So would you please welcome to the stage Renee Guth and Rob Baker.
Thanks for joining me up here this morning. You know, human trafficking is an issue that God put on my heart. And some of you know that. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this issue. It's one of the ugliest injustices in our world today. And it's one of the most difficult to figure out. Um, while we're speaking up here this morning, our ushers are going to kind of pass through the room and hand out some information that our, we have a task force here at Grace that have been working uh, in the last few months to try to figure out what we can do in our community to make a kingdom difference and to protect victims of trafficking in, our, in Pima County. And so they've got some information to share with you. Uh, we'd love to have you a part of that team if you would like to be as well. But let me start by just giving you a few of the facts here about this particular issue and why this is so important to me. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery. Today, it is cheaper than at any time in history to buy a slave. Did you know that? Way more than it cost even in the 1800s when you you, uh, factor in inflation. It's an average of $90 per person to buy a slave today. And there are more people enslaved today than at any other time in human history. 20 to 30 million people worldwide. Every 30 seconds, another person is enslaved in our world. And now, this is one of the most horrendous parts of this whole injustice. Some of these people are being uh, enslaved to harvest their organs. That's what we've descended to in our world today. And it's not just the the less civilized parts of the world. The FBI says that there are over 100,000 children and young women in our nation today within the borders of the United States who are being trafficked, who are being forced against their will as slaves. 100,000. The average age of entry in the United States into slavery is age 11. Now, Rob, when I came to Grace in 2011, this problem quickly came, and as I started sharing about it, it quickly came to unsettle and disgust you as much as it did me, didn't it? Um, Tell me a little bit about how it affected you and this sense that what God was saying to you. So I'm a person of stories. I've always loved to read, and so this book made it into my hands called Running Lacey, Running Lacey by the Hour. And um, Linda Smith put this book together, um, after she, her heart was grabbed by the sex trafficking issue around the world, but also here in the United States. And she told the story of Lacey and Star. And Star is one of the characters in this story who was innocent. She was being raised by her grandmother, the only one she had in her world. And she was pulled into this. Um, into sex trafficking and you watch as her innocence is taken advantage of and as she is um, brutally abused and finally it ends with her death at the end of the story and that touched me very deeply Um, and so I immediately wanted to go out and rescue so you know it's like go out and grab these young ladies and pull them out you know give them something get them out of it and then I'm done and, of course, it's never that simple. It's an eight- to ten-year process for them, and most of them end up dying. Um, most are, um, the mortality is really high, and very few actually, once they're into, the, into this, um, um, are, are ever rescued. Um, and <clears throat> the part that I found is, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it for two years, 
you know, it breaks my heart and it's a great burden. And, you know, what, what is it about it? And, you know, when I, I think, I think the groups that I follow have gotten very close to what that is. It, it's something that breaks God's heart. Um, God's heart's broken because something that he created, which was meant to bring pleasure, is perverted. Instead of being something playful and fun that brings two people together as one, it's being bought and sold. This is a cause of great pain and suffering for all of us. This gift was not meant to cause shame. It was not meant to be used violently to take the innocence away from girls and boys. This greatly breaks the heart of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And Rob, as you share that, I know that over the last few years you've been doing a number of things to try to help. You've been a part of this team here at Grace, but you've also helped with Free to Laugh, which is a annual fundraiser for Soul No More, an organization in town helping fight for victims of trafficking. Um, but the last year or two, you've sensed that God is calling you to take this thing to a whole new level, hasn't he? And it involves yes. Texas. Could you share with us a little bit about what God's been doing in your life? So, you know, I've had um, these things come up and and. I'm trying to be obedient. That's been always been my my difficulty. And so going to Houston for Super Bowl week, you would think would be sort of fun, right? But I was going to the justice rally put on by Exodus Cry. And so while people are there celebrating, um, getting ready for the big game on Sunday, we're doing interventions because, unfortunately, sex trafficking skyrockets. Um, Women are brought in from, and girls are brought in from all across the country because there's a great demand. And so Exodus Cry put on an intervention training. And so the first intervention I did was um, guys had seen fake back page ads and had called to hire a prostitute to buy a prostitute, prostituted woman, sorry. And so... It's a fake ad. We've got their cell number. So that's the first thing I do is I call a, a guy up and I give him some stuff, some information about prostitution, um, that pimps are involved, that it's a violent thing. And I get through the whole spiel and the phone is dead silence. And I don't know what to say. And I finally just said, are you okay, man? And he goes, no, man, I'm not okay. I need help. And I thought, wow. You know, here I was expecting this battle and this guy's just hurting hurt and bad, and so he got help. Um, they, Exodus Cry has a guy that reaches out and helps them. I finished the week up. Every night I went out on the streets, and I had a team of women with me, and we went to the prostituted women that are along this one street called Bissonette Street, and, and I saw the person that my heart broke for, and she avoided us. She had fishnet stockings that were a little bit ripped. Her clothes were torn. Her eyes were dead, and she just walked around us. And um, my heart my heart just broke for that. Um, for her and, and for all the others, and it became overwhelming to me just how, how big that burden is, how common it is, how it's all around us, everywhere. Rob, 
you really shocked me when you told me when you came back that you know, I was praying for you like crazy while you were gone, thinking, Lord, what is he doing? Um, <laughs> and uh, one of the stories you told me, which maybe is the same as that one, was where you were standing out in front of a massage parlor and just watching these guys. And I mean, you were putting yourself in a pretty vulnerable position yourself. I mean, weren't you scared? I mean, you were putting your neck out on the line, Rob, for people you didn't even know. What led you to do that? I don't really know. <laughs> That's a weird thing. I fly to Houston, and I've got, there's a note in my notes. Why are you flying to Houston? So I knew I was going into the heart of darkness, right? I, I knew that I would be seeing things that would change me. I, I knew it was scary. Um, I knew these people aren't fooling around. Um, the pimps are bad dudes. And... So I actually asked eight people to pray for me. I created my own prayer team. First time I'd ever done that. And that gave me great strength so that I could carry light into the darkness. And I saw a lot of darkness. I saw a lot of darkness. But I also saw a lot of brave people that were with me. Um, and they, they prayed and they were led by the Spirit. And it, it, it was really obvious I really learned what the Holy Spirit is. I had no clue what the Holy Spirit was until I went to Houston, Texas. And um, once, once you know the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is with you, you want it every day. And it gives you the, the courage and the right words and the things to say. And my challenge always is to get out of the way and, and let the Spirit work through me to be hands and feet and voice. Rob, I really appreciate that if you're one of those guys who's, who is unashamed about putting on your bat suit, so to speak, but also that you're willing to do the opposite. You're willing to join people and do the simple work, the grunt work that everyone else would just kind of avoid. And that's one of the places you're finding yourselves in this fight even now. Could you share with us a little bit about that? So when I came back to Houston, um, one of the things that came out of Houston Cat French, who leads Exodus Christ, said, don't form a 501c3. I don't want you to go home and do that. I want you to find people in your community. I want you to find mentors and get out there, meet them, and find out what they're doing. Find out what they need. And so Dave set up a meeting with Jerry Payton, who runs Sold No More. And I knew Jerry a little bit through some of the other activities that we want. But we talked, and interestingly, when it came to what, what could we help you with, one of the things was a landscaping project. And I'm like, a landscaping project? I'm ready to go out and battle. <laughs> but I, I was obedient. And so I've taken on a landscaping project for the Sold No More offices. And so I'm looking for volunteer labor and money to buy plants. And so what we're doing is I'm going to landscape the office. Not me, sorry. God and the volunteers. And uh, that'll free money up because Sold No More goes out into the schools, into the middle schools, and they do a Power Over Predators program. It is fabulous. It's prevention. If you can save five people by preventing it, you save so many little girls and little boys and everything else. And so it's something special that Tucson has, Sold No More. And prevention is, is huge. And I think it speaks right to justice. Yeah. 
Well, I wish we could, could, we could impact this even more, but if this is touching your heart and you'd like to learn more or get involved, we'll be having a, a meeting here on May 30th about this again, our next time, and we'd love to have you join us. You can stop and see Rob in the breezeway as you leave today. He has some information about the landscaping project and some of the other things that we're doing. But let me shift gears for just a moment and share another, about with you another issue that has really come to my attention lately and in a growing number of other people at Grace. And this is what I'm coming to realize, the, the most serious humanitarian crisis of our day. It's the refugee crisis. The UN says that there are an estimated 60 million people worldwide today who are refugees, more than any other time in human history. And over half of them are children. I had no idea how bad this situation was. But uh, there's a ministry here in town called Tucson Refugee Ministry. And a few weeks ago, they mailed me this book called Seeking Refuge. And I thought, you know what, this seems interesting. I might read this before I write this sermon that was going to be for today. I, I literally, I picked up this book on a Tuesday morning to thumb through it, and I read it from cover to cover. I could not stop. And I couldn't recommend this book more. If, if you are interested in really seeing a biblical perspective about the refugee crisis and what's going on, fabulous book. Um, it helped me see that this was a, a mandate God has of his people to do something about, to not, just, um, to not just welcome the refugee, but to literally be of aid and assistance to them. Places like Leviticus 19 speak to this. And one of the things that I also realized from this book as they unpacked scripture was that in the Old Testament... The number one commandment, the most often repeated commandment that God gives his people in the Old Testament is to worship the Lord our God. The second most often repeated commandment in the Old Testament, get this, to come to the aid of the refugee. Did you know that? Jesus himself was a refugee. And we, there's an article in your online sermon notes about that that really kind of helps unpack that and helps you see a, a more holistic perspective. One that's far greater than I've ever had um, in, in my life in the past. One of the other things I appreciate about this book is that it, it really gets into some of the more, the more common sense questions that people have about the refugee crisis. Uh, for instance, one of mine that I have heard in the media so often is, well, you know, I kind of had this fear about us welcoming in refugees to our country because I thought, well, we're welcoming in terrorists, right? I mean, maybe you've had this fear as well. And then as I read this chapter that extensively talks about how the, how the United States has set up the refugee program, it is more extensive than any other program in the world of its kind. I mean, if, and what I came to realize is if any terrorist wanted to get into our country, that would be the last route they would pick because it is so exhaustive. They would, it's much easier to get a tourist visa or a work visa than to go that route. And Renee, you know what? I, I know this is an issue that has really been on your heart. We've known each other for, gosh, 20 years now since we were in seminary together. I know over all these years, that this has been this holy anger that's been inside of you to do something about it. And you have done so many, you've, you've, you've really sought God to try to figure out what you could do. Could you ask, share with us, what first brought this to your attention? I'm going to change it up on you, Dave. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, it, it, and it's interesting, he answered a similar question. Um, I had as much chance of avoiding refugees as Jonah did of avoiding Nineveh. <laughs> I mean, when it really comes down to it, there's just been so many things, steps along the way. I mean, I really have had literally people from Africa just come into my life, and 
I, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> and then we would form friendships and great things would happen. The thing that's really amazing is how um, Tucson Refugee Ministry was founded. Um, I was meeting regularly with mission pastors and missionaries um, at a network meeting, and I felt called to work with with refugees because I saw them as people who are right here. You know, if you want to be in cross-cultural ministry, you want to be multicultural, you have all kinds of opportunities in Tucson. They're just mm. right. They're just out there for their picking. And um, and it was something I really wanted because I felt it was part of my personal growth. I also felt I couldn't avoid it because that's where God was taking me. Um, so I basically in this meeting I stood up. I said, "Is there anyone in this in this uh, meeting who feels called to work with refugees here in Tucson?" And uh, I had like six men stand up and say, "Yeah, what we do." And so we formed uh, Tucson Refugee Ministry. It's probably 12 or 13 years ago now, and. Uh, the director is wonderful. She's the, the real s- secret in refugee ministry is can you can you hang long enough to make a difference? Because mm. it is it is a very challenging work, and uh, I my hats off to Cherie. She's done that um, in the same manner. Hats off to myself. I've done that. <laughs> um, I've been working this for 12, 13 years now, and it's a real it's been a real growth opportunity for me and. I want to share something after your next question. Yeah, well, one of the things... <laughs> you act like you even know what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, I thought it was interesting how you shared with me that you know you always had this this burden or this calling mm-hmm. to be a missionary. When you got married, your husband didn't necessarily feel that no. calling. And so no. you recognized, it, mm-hmm. it came to this point where you recognized that you were called to be a missionary to Grant and Alvernon. Right, right. And to that, this heart of that community. True. Um, tell me a little bit more about how... God made this personal for you, going beyond being involved in ministry to just really being the hands and feet of Jesus in a challenging way. Um, for, for me, my call is really specifically African refugees. Um, uh, I've learned that over a period of time, and they're really challenging. Um, I worshipped in an African congregation uh, that worked was out of Northminster for a few years, you know, every Sunday. And uh, there was a young, young man, he was 13 at the time, uh, who we had taken to, to church every week, every week, every week, in his family. So we knew him quite well. And uh, his mom ended up in the nursing home, and his brother decided he wanted to strike out on his own. He was 18, 19, and he wanted to have a life. And, and I kind of don't blame him. Uh, but Venus didn't have a place to go. So Venus ended up in our house, and he's been a great blessing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, another one of God's jokes, because Bob and I decided we didn't want children. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just a hoot that Venus found his way into our house, and he's been one of my greatest joys of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you right know this, but mm-hmm. Arizona has the fourth highest refugee resettlement of any state in the United States. After New York, California, and Texas, Arizona receives more refugees globally uh, than any other state. Mm -hmm. And what breaks my heart as I heard the Tucson Refugee Ministry share is that while there are a thousand refugees that come into Tucson every year globally, less than half of them are ever befriended by an American, let alone a follower of Jesus. I, Ray, I believe that God's literally bringing the world to our doorstep to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus and show Christ's unconditional love. Don't you yeah. think? Yeah, I think um, 
I've been working with African refugees for about six years, and just recently something happened. Somebody told me something and told a group of people that has really cemented my vision and purpose there. And it was a woman I didn't know particularly well. I hadn't really helped her family a lot. Um, she knew me probably better than I knew her. And she stood up, she was in a group of women, and she said, Renee, we can never repay you. And part of me doesn't really know what I did. But it's just the, my, pre I think what it is, is my presence. It's not what I did or what I could have done or what I gave or didn't give. It was just that I was there. And um, another it's relationship. Yeah, it's relationship. And recently I had a Congolese woman make Venusta, a very handsome um, kind of dinner jacket out of African fabric. And um, I was expecting to pay what you pay for a custom work because this lady's gone to Pima. She's a fa in fashion design. She's awesome. Anyways, she wouldn't accept what I thought was a fair price because she says, no, 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 you can't do that. This is for from the whole community. And so it was just an amazing way that she was giving back her support for me and vice versa. And it was very deep for me, a very deep, meaningful thing to realize that you can make an impact on people's lives by just being present with them. Yeah. A couple of things I'll share with you as we're wrapping up that um, are opportunities along these lines. One is here at Grace, we partner with one ministry in particular called Goshen Ministries. And they are working um, in Uganda with orphan children as well as locally here with refugees. We're going to be having a mission trip to Uganda again in, um, in January, I believe. And if you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to ha be able to pass some information to you and have you join us on that trip. The next thing that we're going to be doing, which I'm pretty excited about, is our kids are going to actually be leading the way with this. During our vacation Bible school this year which is happening in just a few days, our missions project is going to be to help refugees in partnership with World Vision. So we'd encourage you, you know, come, come and join us during, those, during that week and help us out as we inspire our kids and then kids inspire us to help refugees. Would you thank both of our guests here this morning? I'll close with this. Uh, um, there was a, a, several years ago, there was this 12-year-old boy that I read about, and he heard about one of these issues. It was the human trafficking issue in particular. And it just broke this little 12-year-old boy's heart. And he said to his mom and dad, you know, I can't do much. But he started giving of his free time and telling people about the issue of human trafficking. And he started collecting loose change from people. He actually called it loose change to loosen chains. And he raised $10,000 from his local school. Now, despite huge crowds, his passion is just so contagious. He hates being in front of, it, of, front of other people. But he speaks to thousands of people at the time about this issue. And he recently even gave a speech at the White House. He said something recently that really hit me. He said, we can make a difference in the lives of slaves. It doesn't really matter how young we are. It doesn't matter if we have physical, mental, or emotional disabilities. It doesn't matter the color of our skin or where we're from. Anybody can make a difference and be a voice to the voiceless. Let me ask you this morning, how is God calling you to be a voice to the voiceless?
What segment of society do you feel like is being overlooked, taken advantage of, and it, it angers you? It, it breaks your heart. Perhaps you know someone in particular in your life right now, and God's calling you to show mercy and to do justice on their behalf. What is God asking of you this morning? So may you put on your bat suit and wear it proudly as a follower of Jesus. Not to receive praise for yourself, but because your heavenly father asks you to. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity this morning to be able to share your word. God, uh, when we're talking about setting boundaries for ourselves, we can't do so without talking about setting boundaries for those who can't do so themselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more conscientious of the world around us. To see those who are hurting, to see those who are being taken advantage of, abused. And Lord, would you give us the boldness, the courage to do something about it, even if we have no idea what we're doing. God, would you give us this burning passion in our hearts to see those things that break your heart and may it break ours just the same. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for um, people who come into our lives um, that we didn't even ask to have come in our lives and who've then been a blessing. And we just thank you for the refugees that are here in Tucson, and they can be a blessing to our community. We pray, Lord, that I especially pray this morning for uh, refugees who come here as teens and young adults. They have a tremendous amount of catch-up to do in learning English and going to school. And a lot of them um, never make it. And so we pray for those, particularly we pray for the educational system. I ask, I, Lord, I ask that you bless Amphi um, High School for the work they do with refugees. It's incredible. And so, Lord, we ask that you be with these folks. We ask that you would help us to be welcoming, to help us do simple things, to, to just be present, to pray, to worship with. Father, I ask that all of our hearts be open to what breaks your heart. That the brokenhearted, that they come out of their sadness, that they feel your love, your compassion, and your mercy, and that they be rescued. And I ask that we all be filled with your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, that each day, you will fill us and that we can be your hands and feet. Your will be done. Yes. And with, uh, while we're just in an attitude of prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just feel like God is doing a work in some of our hearts this morning and helping us see something that he has planted within us that we didn't recognize was there. You know, accepting Christ is not just some intellectual exercise. It's a starting point for acknowledging and listening to God, for establishing a relationship with Him so that we can partner with Him to do something, to be His hands and feet in the world. He calls each one of us in life to something greater than ourselves if we'll listen, if we'll trust 
and if, we're, if we'll obey. This morning, if you feel like God is stirring in you and he's asking you to surrender, to trust and obey him, you know, he's got an adventure plan for your life, but it starts at that point. It starts at that point of surrender. I want to encourage you to take that step toward God today and allow God into your life. Maybe you walked with God at one point long ago and you've kind of walked away from it and you're recognizing today as you've landed here at Grace on a Sunday morning that maybe God wants to, you to recommit your life to Him, to kind of press the reset button on all of this and to say from this point forward, Lord, you will be the center of my life. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me in the silence of your heart. Heavenly Father, I... Thank you today for bringing me to a place of grace and for helping me see that the world is bigger than me and my own needs, my own wants, my own desires. God, help me not only break over the things that break your heart, but Lord, I pray that you would break me. Lord, I surrender in this moment to you. I give it all to you. Lord, my life, everything that I have, it's yours. I ask that you would come into my life and forgive me of my sins. All those places in my past where I've disappointed you, Lord, I ask that you would just forgive me of those and just put them as far away as the east is from the west, as you say in Scripture, and remember them no more. Thank you for that promise. God, I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit as I confess that Jesus is my Savior and Lord who went to a cross and died so that I could live. And Lord, I ask that you would begin to do a work in me to change me from the inside out. Make me into the man or woman of God you've called me to be. Make me your hands, your feet, your voice in this world. God, I will follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name.